Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shasad Podcast, conversations between scholars from around the world who study childhood, youth, and related institutions historically. As an official production of the Society for the History of Children and Youth, you can subscribe to these shows through iTunes or Google Play. Written and visual materials associated with each episode are available at our website, shcy.org. Enjoy. Good evening. Uh, I'm speaking good evening for myself because here uh, at the Eastern Shore uh, uh, there is an evening and uh, I, say, I, I can say uh, good afternoon to Ansley Morse, to my inter interlocutor. I'm Ilya Kukulin. I'm a research fellow of Amherst College, Amherst, Massachusetts, and um, I'm a scholar of Russian and uh, some Eastern European literatures. Uh, and um, for me, this uh, conversation is focused, first of all, on uh, interconnection between uh, children's literature in Russia, and not only in Russia, in uh, East Europe, uh, and avant-garde poetry and avant-garde literature. And um, I'm speaking to um, Ansley Morse, Assistant Professor of Dartmouth College, uh, Dartmouth, New Hampshire. And um, uh, as far as I understand, uh, we have some very important um, intersection of our academic interests because uh, Ansley is interested uh, in children's poetry, not as only a specific uh, segment of literature, but also as a uh, an important element of culture from cultural uh, studies of uh, point of view, from anthropological point of view. Because for me, the one of the most um, interesting aspects of scholarship, children's literature, is uh, that uh, children's literature uh, is very deeply connected with the uh, imagination of given society about its future. And about imagination, uh, not only um, and um, not only imagination, but also uh, children's literature uh, uh, allows to understand very deep uh, emotional and social practices uh, regarding the uh, ties between generations. But, uh, regarding ruptures between generations and uh, in also given society. And therefore, uh, it would be very interesting to speak to Ansley uh, and to discuss with her uh, two very interesting and important book, important in the academic field, uh, published recently. First of them is the book Wordplay, Experimental Poetry and Soviet Children's Literature, uh, published by Northwestern University Press uh, in 2021, and a very new book, um, brand new, um, prepared by Ansley, uh, edited and translated uh, with Alexander Boschkovich, historian of Serbian literature and Serbian culture from Columbia University, professor of Columbia University, and um, 
together they prepared the first, as far as I understand, English edi uh, edition with a very interesting and long foreword, um, edition of uh, the poem by two Serbian poets, Alexander Vuce and Dusan Matic, uh, that um, is depicted in the subtitle as a Yugoslav Marxist surrealist epic poem for children uh, written in, uh, uh, in 1933, as far as I remember. Published, uh, in, published in 1933. The poem was first written in 1931. Yeah. Okay. And, and the, the title, uh, the English title is The Fine Feats of the Five Cockerels Gang. Yes. And um, this, um, uh, this um, book, uh, including the foreword, the uh, Serbian text, the English translation, and facsimile uh, rep uh, reproduction of uh, the uh, Serbian uh, edition of uh, the 1933 above mentioned, uh, is published by, the, the, uh, uh, by Brew. Uh, and now I'm asking, uh, first of all, uh, what uh, uh, first of all we were, we will speaking about the first book uh, word play experimental poetry and Soviet children's literature and um, what was the reasons of your endlessly interest to children's literature and its interconnections with uh, avant-garde and what uh, how your book was conceived? Thank you, Ilya. Thank you so much for. Um... Uh, agreeing to have this conversation with me. It's a great honor. Um, when Ilya first read my book, he said, oh, I am so uh, moved to see myself cited so many times. So I should say right away that uh, Dr. Kukulian is a great inspiration to me and his work um, is part of the answer to the question of how I, I came to write this book. Um, so it's, it's a great honor to have you as an interlocutor. Um, I, I think that the story of the genesis of this book is actually very interesting, you know, not, not to toot my own horn too much. It's not really me. It's just how things happened because although I came to agree wholeheartedly with what Ilya just said about the significance of children's literature in the wider context of culture, um, and the and and the arts and really, as as Ilya also said, uh, uh, kind of from an anthropological perspective, thinking about such things, I did not start with children's literature. So uh, th uh, to to tell the story of the genesis of this book, um, it actually started with something that the book ends with, which is contemporary poetry. Um, from from Russia in approximately the 2010s, uh, maybe the first decade of the 2000s, um, when I started to be interested in contemporary poetry. Um, and something that became a central idea of the book, uh, which is this idea of a childlike aesthetic, was something that I noticed in contemporary poetry. So some of the poets whose work I started to follow and who I found really interesting, who were writing in the mid 2000s, early 2010s, um, I was picking up on this, these childlike elements in their work. Uh, sometimes it was a sort of a childlike lyric persona. 
Sometimes it was childlike form, something that sounded kind of like a nursery rhyme. Um, and uh, sometimes it was kind of the trappings of childhood as, as part of the poem. Um, and so I found this intriguing. And then my interest in contemporary poetry, likewise, led me into a very longstanding now interest in unofficial underground poetry of the Soviet period. Um, so contemporary poetry um, in today's Russia, even now, but especially with the generation that are approximately my coevals, um, was very much coming out of this underground tradition. Um, and so as I began to learn more about the underground tradition, um, I started noticing this, this childlike aesthetic in the work of quite a few poets there as well. And this is also when I found out that uh, quite a few of the poets of the late Soviet period not only showed a childlike aesthetic in their work, they also worked as children's poets. Um, so they, they were writing children's books um, as a kind of side gig. Very few of them were famous or successful as children's writers, um, which you, you could be famous and successful. Many of them were not, most of them were not, uh, but it was an area that many of them were active in as freelancers. And it extended really, this is something I touch on probably less than I should in the book, but it extended to really cover a lot of other areas of underground culture. So many of them were friends with illustrators who likewise were the people illustrating um, children's books at the time. And so then uh, as I became intrigued by this phenomenon, I trace the history of it. And it takes me to actually um, the area where there probably has been the most research done by uh, scholars in, in Russia and uh, in the US and elsewhere. And that is the history of early Soviet children's literature. Um, uh, and because there has been so much more scholarship on this area, I, in the book, I don't have to go into it so much in depth. I kind of gesture toward it just to give historical background. Um, but of course, this scholarship uh, really does a great job of talking more about the idea of the child, of childhood, and the way in which children's literature is very closely tied to the idea of what the future is going to be like, as Ilya already said. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, so this was, however, arguably a unique moment in the various histories of children's literature because Soviet society, as it was just forming, was, for, was basically ar ar articulating all of its many often contradictory ideals in the context of this brand new Soviet children's literature. Um, <clears throat> and I think that this is uh, I'll say one more thing and then I'll and then I'll turn the the microphone back to Ilya um, so that I'm not just uh, giving a monologue. Um, I basically have walked you through 
the way I wrote the book, but backwards at this point, because this is the structure that the book has. I begin with this um, really exciting and theoretically rich moment of the emergence of early Soviet literature, children's literature. Um, and it's very open and complicated interactions with the avant-garde of the pre-Soviet and early Soviet period. And then I move from there into these, into the later Soviet underground and into the contemporary moment. Um, <clears throat> but what I find is that, uh, I mean, among, among, among the various things I find, uh, the idea of what a child is and what childhood is and how um and how these ideas relate to i guess ideology and reality which is often not the same thing um these ideas really change throughout the entire soviet period um um and and so in some ways there is a lot of continuity in the story that i tell about how this childlike aesthetic is conceived by early avant-garde modernist writers and then kind of articulated through these different periods um, of early Soviet children's literature into the later period and post-Soviet. Um, but at the same time, I think that ideas about what a child, what an actual child is like, what children need, um, what children mean for society, all of these ideas are actually changing throughout, even while some of the aesthetic decisions are staying the same. Um, so uh, I, will, uh, I will stop there as far as answering the question about where the idea came from. Um, and we can move on. <laughs> we can move on to some other questions. Okay, thank you. And um, that was very interesting. And um, uh, my um, second question regarding this book, Wordplay, is um, did you uh, present here your main argument or uh, is there something that is not explained in your previous monologue as uh, uh, what could be uh, uh, what you could des uh, describe as the main argument of your book? Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so the the main argument of my book actually was and is um, a little bit polemical, mostly with regard to some of the very widely held notions about what is happening in unofficial poetry. And I'll say for listeners uh, who are not you, Ilya, <laughs> that when we say unofficial poetry, we're just talking about um, the vast amounts of poetry that were written during the Soviet period under um, pretty serious censorship uh, and were not published. So mostly unofficial poetry, unofficial literature in general was not published because it was never submitted for publication. This and is, it right? was never submitted, not yeah. uh, because uh, mandatory of its political mm -hmm. content, but also, first of all, because of its aesthetical specificity, because of its style. Right. And and this is and it's an important distinction to make in order to properly lay out my argument. Um, so 
unofficial literature is literature that is that was not published in the official Soviet press. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes in Russian, we use the word kind of uncensored literature to emphasize that it was literature that wasn't necessarily rejected by the official Soviet press, but it was never submitted for review. Uh, on the right? one hand, on the yeah. second hand, this uh, uh, therefore this literature was not a subject of self censorship. That's its right. what Right, and that is a very and that is a very important um, clarification because um, I think that the standard view during the Cold War and to a large extent even now uh, is that. Um, writers were heroically writing things and just being kind of squashed uh, uh, by by the censoring body um, or they were censoring themselves and just producing some kind of ideologically um, correct hogwash. So the poets whose work I examine in the book um, for the most part are poets who wrote in a way that I think we would describe as free. So they had, they made their own aesthetic decisions. Um, they had some kind of an audience of their peers and sometimes other people. They were able to share um, their work just on handwritten sheets of paper or typewritten sheets of paper, often in the form of samizdat. Um, but it's obviously a different situation from a standard publishing. Uh, standard publishing circumstances that you might be familiar with in American or Western European contexts. Um, and so the reason I'm giving this as background is that um, there is a concept that I bring up in the book, which is called Aesopian language. Um, and Aesopian language is a reference to the fables of Aesop, which, especially since this is a podcast for people who care about children's literature, um, I imagine people are familiar with the idea being that uh, we're going to just tell you a nice story with some animal characters, but actually it's going to be uh, a very incisive commentary on contemporary political, um, uh, the contemporary political situation. And Aesopian language uh, during the Soviet period becomes very widespread. It becomes a kind of doublespeak is another, uh, another, another phrase that is sometimes used. And the idea is that you kind of internalize, it is a form of self-censorship, but it is also a form of creative expression, right? You internalize the rules about what can and cannot be said, and you figure out how to say what you wanna say um, through a sometimes rather convoluted uh, system of hints, allusions, and otherwise. And um, I, it, it is it when I began writing the book and doing research for the book, uh, it was almost a, a, a kind of commonplace that I would encounter that people would say, oh, Soviet children's literature is really great. It was the only place where people could speak freely. Um, and the implication was that all kinds of political statements were being made um, in, in children's literature by the frustrated writers who could not make those statements openly in some other venue. And, and I mean, if you want, there, there's a famous book by the poet Lev Losiev called On the Benefic Beneficence of Censorship, um, in which he lays out this argument with reference to some early Soviet um, 
children's literature. Although actually, I guess he talks about Chukovsky's Tarakan, which is pre, pre-Soviet, right? Um, anyway, so I was I was intrigued by this because I thought this is, I mean, this is interesting and it's kind of appealing, but it's a very adult argument. Um, and I thought maybe there are some other reasons that Soviet children's literature is really good. Right. Maybe there are some reasons that are more um, aesthetic and not just subversive political. Um, And so part of my aim in writing the book was to explore that angle. Um, And I think that I found plenty of evidence in favor of of my alternative viewpoint, Um, uh, because what I was interested in was, on the one hand, people who wrote genuinely innovative and interesting um, and unexpected and, and, and surprising work for children to kind of prove the point that Soviet children's literature was some of the best literature published in the Soviet Union. Uh, and I also really liked the idea, which I, which is one of my main arguments in the book, that by engaging with children's literature in which meant different things for different writers um, that maybe some of these poets were finding things in children's literature that were really useful to them in their so-called adult poetry. Um, And that, and that it was a two-way street. It wasn't just the, the frustrated adult trying to put adult messages into the children's literature. It was also the completely other way around, like people learning things from children's literature that would be meaning aesthetically meaningful in adult literature. And the final piece of the argument for me that, that was most important for me um, <clears throat> is kind of embodied by a couple of the poets who I write about, including Daniel Harms in the early Soviet period, as well as Sevolodny Krasov and Alia Grigoryev in the, in the later period. Poets who I present in the book um, as effectively ignoring the genre difference between children's literature and adult literature. Poets who who ultimately think, you know what, like I am, this is just how I write. Um, and uh, I think that that is, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's kind of small scale, but for me, this was one of the more radical things that I found. Um. For me, uh, as far as I understood your book, uh, you don't write that uh, there is absolutely no difference between, for example, children's and adult, so-called adult text uh, in the uh, between uh, within the works of, uh, say, Oleg Grigoryev, but uh, that these uh, these works have many common in style in worldview and can be, uh, they uh, uh, shape the uh, common field of uh, production of meanings, I think. Uh, and um, if speaking about contemporary situation, I think that it would be important to say, uh, we are um, speaking uh, about Russian literature and situation of Russian 
uh, aggression against Ukraine. And uh, it's important to underscore that uh, um, the most part of uh, uncensored authors, unofficial authors, uh, most not all, but the most part, and their ancestors, um, their, uh, how to say, their ears in Russian literature, uh, today's uh, young poets who uh, whose uh, aesthetic gene genealogy would be traced back to uh, unofficial literature, uh, they uh, usually resist to new Russian imperialist propaganda. They uh, resist uh, to military rhetorics and some of them emigrated. And that's important that we are speaking about how to say uh, non-imperialist part of Russian literature. Uh, and uh, now we will, uh, soon we will return to the discussion of this book world play. Here I um, want to underscore uh, that the word play is very important here. Play is something that, uh, unites uh, the ideas of avant-garde, poetic avant-garde, and children's literature, especially for Russian children's literature of the 20th century was very rich with uh, many word plays uh, described in your books. Let's proceed to the, your next book. Um, I, I, let, me, let me just say one other thing in response to your... In comment about uh, the contemporary situation with, with Russia's right, right. Um, war in Ukraine, because I will say uh, something that has changed for me in relation to the book, really, since, since this uh, more aggressive phase of the war mm -hmm. began in uh, February of 2022. Um, I think that my, my, attitude toward the idea of Aesopian language actually changed a little bit um, mm -hmm. because it's back. Um, it's back and it's back in children's literature, you know, uh, uh, like um, yeah, I know. there are some heroic contemporary publishers who are still operating in Russia right now. Um, and obviously they can't publish anything about the war. Um, that addresses it directly, but they are publishing so many materials that relate to it indirectly. Um, and I, I find this just on its own, I find this really fascinating and also utterly heroic. Um, I mean, just to give a couple of examples, uh, the, the publishing house called Samakat has been publishing a lot of books for children picture books, graphic novels that are about different wars. They're about the Second World War, or um, I think even there was something about the war in Afghanistan, which is seems like it would have been censored. Um, and and so I think that in a new when I when I was writing this book, um, the situation with censorship in the Russian Federation, uh, was troubling and not to be ignored, but it wasn't what it is now. Um, and it, it definitely has given me a, a somewhat different perspective on what children's writers were navigating, what all writers were having to navigate during during the Soviet period. Um, so I just wanted I just wanted to add that. 
uh, before we before we move on. All right, and um, I know at least uh, one uh, brilliant example of Ethiopian language in uh, the uh, children's literature uh, written during this stage of war, the poem by uh, children's poet Artur Givargizov, uh, mm, describing the situation of uh, uh, Russian intellectuals during the, during the war. Uh, as a situation of a uh, too educated child uh, in uh, uh, in a yard full of hooligans, young hooligans. Mm. Uh huh. I see. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, and uh, um, let's proceed. Uh, we will return to this matter. It's very important. Yes. Uh, yes. But uh, um, uh, in order to connect your to uh, different uh, different um, directions of your work. Let's proceed to the uh, to your next book uh, prepared with Professor Alexander Boskovich uh, uh, about uh, the five feats of uh, five cockerel gang. Uh, please uh, tell our listeners something uh, about its authors, Alexander Vucha and. Dushan Matic, uh, and uh, about this very poem, why it was interesting for you, and how it could be compared with works of Soviet unofficial poets writing for children. Thank you. Yes, so um, my uh, background, uh, before I became a scholar of Russian language, uh, literature, I did quite a lot of work in, in Yugoslav literature. And so for me, doing this project with Sasha Boshkovich was very exciting to get back into um, something that I was very interested in, but quite a while ago. Uh, and in fact, most of the work, the academic work that I did on Yugoslav literature had to do with this um, Yugoslav avant-garde, um, which was... Uh, I guess if you're thinking about a kind of classical modernist avant-garde, it was a bit later than the Russian slash Soviet avant-garde. So the peak years are the late 19, mid to late 1920s and early 1930s. Um, uh, this avant-garde in Yugoslavia, as it was called at the time, um, was dominated by what was called surrealism. Um, there was in particular... Or uh, in Russian, it's called nadrealism, literally overrealism. And, and that's what it's called in Serbian too, nadrealism. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very closely related to the kind of original surrealism, if we can use that kind of term, uh, because several of its most prominent representatives, including Dusan Matic, um, had studied in Paris. And so they had direct contact with the French surrealists. Um, uh, and, uh, in fact, some of the primary, uh, venues for Yugoslav slash Belgrade surrealism, uh, were, for instance, their, one of their biggest journals, an almanac was, was in Serbian and French. Um, it was published in, in two languages. So there was a lot of contact with, with the French variety of surrealism. And this, uh, this book is a really fascinating hybrid. Um, so the main text of the book 
which I translated, is a long poem in six songs. We translated the word as pevanya, as songs. We could have done canto. It would be the same word if we had wanted a kind of Dante reference or something. Um, And uh, it was published in 1933 in a, a special publishing venture that was run by the Surrealist poets. It was called Edition Surrealiste, um, so Surrealist Editions. Um, uh, and it was the text of a poem that Vucho had published in a, in a just a daily newspaper a few years previously, uh, accompanied by photo montage illustrations that Dushan Matic had made, as well as his very programmatic uh, preface, which was not part of the original newspaper publication, and these very bizarre prose vignettes that accompany the photo montage illustrations. So, um, like, actually, quite a few. I mean, so, so to to immediately draw some parallels with um, things that you can read about in the book Wordplay, we were just talking about. Um, uh, this is a great example of a uh, very avant-garde work for children that is not necessarily all that child-oriented. And this is something characteristic of the early avant-garde in the Soviet, in Russia slash the Soviet Union. So that's something I talk about in just the introductory parts of, of wordplay, where these modernist and avant-garde artists and writers are completely fascinated by and obsessed with the idea of the child and the idea of the child's perspective on the world, kind of a freshness um, and uh, uh, openness to the impossible, the absurd, what have you. But at the same time, the actual products that they are producing are not necessarily all that child-oriented. And this is the case with this is one of the things that makes um, the fine feats of the five cockerels gang, the Yugoslav poem makes it really interesting because it's overtly attempting to address children. Uh, And the poem, the actual text of the poem, I think is very successful as a work of children's literature. I, while I was translating it, I regularly read it to my small children and they approved and were captivated, and it has a very, it has a lot of action. It has a gripping plot, um, which I can say a few words about in a minute. Uh, but again, uh, the way that it was published as a very small print run surrealist editions with these kind of macabre illustrations and uh, difficult to understand texts. Um, these factors are are, are not uh, they, they don't go as o- over as well with, with with younger readers. So it's really it's really it's really a, a kind of hybrid. It also gets back to what Ilya began with talking about um, in society, like the idea of what a child is and what childhood should be, because. The programmatic preface to the poem that Dushan Matic writes does address children and addresses them basically as the oppressed workers. Um, 
and calls out for them to toss off the yoke of uh, uh, adult ways of thinking about the world, which he equates with oppressive capitalism and stuff like that. Um, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I find it as an adult, I find it compelling. Um, but in some ways, it's a similar kind of projection of um, really the way we want society to be as a whole onto this kind of figure of, of the child as, as an innocent and unspoiled and, and all of these things. Um, so I, I, I sort of jumped right into some of the uh, theoretical angles surrounding this work without saying much about it. I'll just say briefly that um, the plot of the, of the long poem um, that really is the bulk of the work. I mean, there, there are only five photo illustrations uh, that, that accompany it. So the plot is that there are these five kids, these five boys, um, who are, it's indicated by their style of speaking that they come from worker families. They're not like noble lads. Um and they are kind of street kids, like, you know, they, they have homes, but uh, they mostly just hang out playing with each other in the street. Um, and then, and then th this is why they're called the Five Cockerels Gang. That's just a name that they made up for themselves. Uh, and they encounter a, a young girl who is being, um, as they perceive it, who is being held captive in this institution near a place that they like to play. And this is one of the actually overtly surrealist elements of the poem, because you never really can tell the institution is either a convent, and it is in fact run by nuns, but it is also referred to as the State Institute for Girls. So it is one of quite a few moments in the poem where there is an implicit critique of the union of church and state, which was typical of the, of the Yugoslav monarchy that was in charge at the time. Um, and that was oppressing, uh, directly oppressing this group of poets. Uh, anyway, so they find out that this girl is being held captive there by all of these evil nuns who are very evil and disgusting, um, very effective villains. Uh, and they organize a couple attempts to rescue her, um, which fail. Uh, and then finally they figure out this grand plan of rescuing her um, by getting a, a lampshade maker to build them a hot air balloon. And they successfully rescue her using this hot air balloon. Uh, and then they sail off with her to an island. And one of the, one of the many cool things about this poem is that uh, almost all of the details, like where things are, the names of shops and stuff like this, the location of this island, they're real places in Belgrade. So especially for kids at the time who were reading it, like in the newspaper version, they would have said, oh yeah, I know where that is. I know where that is. Um, uh, so they defeat the most evil nun of all, who's called Sister Calavestra. Um, and uh, and they have a absolutely utopian ending where they are basically going to build a completely new society on this uh, island that they on the, on the very recognizable island on the Danube, uh, yeah. just uh, within the uh, city limits of Belgrade. Belgrade. Yep, exactly. 
Uh, yes, uh, I think that um, this poem is uh, very impressive, and um, I think that uh, uh, it's also um, uh, accompanied with a foreword by Dusan Matic, who was a poet and uh, an artist who made these photo montages. Uh, and while reading this um, foreword, um, I was thinking about that. Um, this um, um, we would say that this poem, this long poem, is not only Marxist; it's Freudian Marxist. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, Good point. <laughs> uh, because it's um, uh, one of most striking. Uh, I, I was um, uh, I grown up in the Soviet Union and. Uh, uh, while um, be, being um, at school and at the university, I um, was um, I had to read many um, Marxist-charged books, but without any traces of uh, psychoanalysis. You understand? Uh -huh. uh, and uh, uh, for me, the, uh, I know about Wilhelm Reich, or uh, I don't know so Eric from some other Freudian Marxist, but uh, connection of uh, uh, psychoanalysis and Marxism in children's literature uh, impressed me strongly, frankly speaking. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. And uh, I think that um, uh, you see that uh, the notion of child in different cultures uh, differs strongly because um, uh, in the Soviet Union you could distinguish between at least two types of children's literature, two ideal types, uh, if using Marx Weber's terms. Um, uh, first ideal types, it was propagandist children's literature, which um, addressed uh, to children uh, as tabula rasa, uh, as uh, somebody uh, empty who should become the new man or woman for the new society. Mm -hmm. And second was uh, more or less unofficial children's literature, more for, uh, more marked was with the idea of play uh, than this propagandist literature. Uh, and that's interesting that uh, children's uh, literature, propag uh, propagandist type was very uh, rich with photo montages and photo collages. Uh, and um, uh, in the, um, 2021, uh, the book by the professor of Princeton University in the USA, Sergei Ushakin, was published in Moscow, uh, which was called Medium, uh, Medium for Masses, uh, consciousness through the eyes, medium для масс сознания через глаз in Russian. Uh, mm -hmm. That uh, this book uh, is the uh, very thorough analysis of the children's propagandist books based on idea of montage, uh, but this is uh, very not so poetic montage and uh, as in the book by Alexander Vucha and Dusan Matic. This is obviously a politically charged uh, montage focused on figure of Lenin. Um, uh -huh. It's, uh, I mean, one of the really interesting considerations about 
the fine feats of the five cockerels gang is that um, the schema that I laid out when I was describing wordplay about um, about this uh, early Soviet period and then these kind of more straightforwardly oppressed underground writers of the of the later Soviet period, it's kind of reversed in the Yugoslav context. So when, when Matic and Vucho are writing this, they are essentially underground writers. Um, and and this work was right. being censored um, and seized and destroyed, and several of their friends were arrested. Um, and um, subsequently, however, it's so fascinating to see how it worked out. But um, since after the Second World War, the Yugoslav partisans won and Yugoslavia became a socialist state, um, actually, Matic, Vucho, and quite a few other prominent figures of that former underground became absolutely mainstream, basically leaders of the literary establishment in post-war Yugoslavia. Um, Members so, of the Union of Communists of Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just just at all the tribunes and 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 so on. They didn't go on to. Um, they didn't uh, work anymore with with montage. Um, they also didn't. I mean, they both continued to write, but they uh, they didn't do any further work for children after after that point. Um, and so, yeah, it's a yeah, it is a, because one of something that I didn't say, but that I probably should mention about wordplay, um, which has to do with something you and I have discussed earlier. Uh, with this idea of the weak subject in in poetry, because one of the more I don't know sociological aspects that I explore in wordplay is the status of children's literature in relation to the literary establishment, to the wider field of of literature, and in the Soviet Union. Even in the very early period when Soviet when when children's literature was accorded a lot of attention and there was a lot of discussion of what it should be like because of as you said this idea that um, children are a blank slate that we can just work with to create the ideal new person um, unlike all of these flawed adults with their pre-revolutionary baggage. So on the one hand, children's literature seemed really important. But even in the early Soviet period, it was still much lower prestige than being an adult writer. Um, and it was something that, like, I mean, a very prominent figure in children's literature, Samuel Marshak, he, he talks about this at these, you know, all union meetings of writers. And he says, uh, he tries to convince people that writing children's literature is really important and that uh, uh, you, you, I'm sure you know about his speech called uh, Big Literature for Little People, right? Baixaya Literatura de right? Like, um, meaning like great literature for, for young people. And in the later Soviet period, the status of children's literature becomes even more noticeably um, diminished or it, 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 was, a, it was really great. Oh, uh, uh, the, the, status, uh, the status of children's writers. Right. Yes. I'm sorry. You are absolutely right. That is that is an important that is an important distinction. And so I I do talk about that 
sociological fact, right? The status of children's writers. I talk about that in relation to some of the um, lyric speakers who crop up in the poems, not necessarily written for children, by the poets whose work I I, I discuss in the book. Um, because I think that uh, in some ways, this lower status entailed greater freedom um, because who cares what you're doing? You're just a lowly children's writer. Um, uh, and in other ways, I think it, it uh, uh, I don't know, consolidated a lot of the complexes that were, <laughs> that, were uh, the, that were in the air. And uh, uh, so I, for, for me, it's something that I do see as related, even aesthetically, to some of the um, positions that are explored. By these poets. And you mentioned earlier when you talked about the connection with the war in Ukraine, you mentioned um, how important it is that we're talking about a tradition of Russian language literature that is deeply not imperialist, right? It's a, it's a tradition of Russian literature that absolutely refuses the idea of greatness. Yes, right? this, this to, uh, to tie it to tie it into to an American narrative as well, right? And uh, and this is no small task in the context of Soviet literature, which is all about greatness, right? I mean, or Soviet culture. Absolutely, uh, and um, the significant part of the Soviet children's literature was about children's heroes. Uh, and here, uh, this is. Uh, to deal with literature for and about children, but not about heroism. Right, exactly. Uh, and in the Yugoslav context, um, and in the context of the book we've been discussing, the, the five fine feats of the five cockerels gang, uh, there you have um, a really different attitude toward what heroism means because the writers are writing from the position of underdog, right? Um, so these boys are depicted as heroic. Um, and in some ways, their struggle is a is a eternal, epic kind of David and Goliath um, um struggle with these, with this uh, enormous convent uh, and, and absolutely evil nuns. Um, but uh, it it really doesn't resemble. If we're gonna if we're gonna stick with calling it Marxist, right? It really doesn't resemble the kind of heroism that is depicted uh, in a lot of uh, the early or contemporary Soviet children's literature. Absolutely, and here um, I think that um, it would um, it would be interesting to um, to clarify this uh, specificity of this heroism in poem by Alexander Vucha and Dushan Matic uh, through the figure of uh, vulgarized Nitschanism. Uh, the uh, American historian of culture, uh, Bernice Rosenthal, uh, uh, she analyzed the, uh, that uh, for Bolshevism, for Soviet Bolshevism, the uh, vulgarized uh, idea of Nitschanism understood via um, works 
of uh, Maxim Gorky, the great, uh, how to say, uh, the great socialist writer, founder, one of the main founders of Soviet literature, that uh, Gorky was uh, full of idea of vulgarized Nishanism, uh, understood not in sense of play, not also very important for Nietzsche, but through idea of uh, puffed up, uh, puffed up uh, greatness. And uh, <laughs> okay, uh-huh. these, all these books, uh, all these texts you are analyzing, or both Russian and Serbian, are absolutely devoid of this puffed up uh, rhetoric, puffed up. Uh, puffed up uh, greatness. And uh, here I am thinking, uh, are they uh, connected uh, with some other European traditions? While reading Four World by Dushan Matic, connecting the Freudian and Marxist rhetoric, mm -hmm. I was thinking about one more central European author, uh, namely Italian children's uh, children's writer, uh, also uh, uh, admirer of both Marx and Freud, Gianni Radari. Radari. Mm -hmm. That's Radari. really interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't think of that, but I will definitely look at uh, Rhetoric of uh, Dushan Matic uh, resembles um, um, rhetoric of especially early Radari, uh, who was also very, uh, and um, partially maybe some of his late books, uh, Grammar of fantasy uh, that Gianni uh, 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 Radari has uh, had his own uh, program of child rearing uh, based on Marxism and psychoanalysis and also idea of uh, um, uh, how to say uh, emancipation of desires as it was described uh, in form <laughs> to this right 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 uh, uh, one other one other desires one other um just just before i forget uh, uh, thinking comparatively about these this this love and then the more um mainstream propagandistic early soviet children's literature uh it occurred to me that uh pretty early on in the propagandistic branch of Soviet children's literature, um, you have obviously lots of depictions of collectives, but there is it's important that there is like a strong leader, right? If you think about if you think about some of these collectives. And one of the things that I found immediately very appealing and striking about the the five cockerels gang is that um they are really uh, uh, they strike me as as more of a collective they um they have someone who is sort of called a captain but he is not um he is not the one making all the decisions um and each of their rescue attempts is very much a kind of collage of participation on everybody's part so that's kind of an interesting uh another interesting angle in terms of in terms of uh, really uh, orthodox um ideas about socialism right which very quickly become um quite <laughs> quite devolved in the soviet context um, i think oh, sorry mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. go ahead 
uh, I'm thinking uh, that um, uh, Soviet um, theorists of pedagogy in the 1930s, while um, having read this book uh, by Alexander Vucci and Dushan Matic, Five Cockerels, they would have called it anarchists, not uh, anarchists. <laughs> yes, <laughs> surely, <laughs> surely. Um... Yes, but I, I also I didn't want to uh, forget about the thing you said about um, Gianni Rodari and this this curious Marxist uh, Freudian combination. I think uh, uh, I, as as further encouragement to everyone to read this wonderful uh, Yugoslav poem, um, something really striking that Dusan Matic writes at the end that I think is just. Um, very much uh, advice that still stands today or something like this. Uh, it's a surrealist argument for making collages, um, but it projects the idea of cutting out the pictures that you like and turning them into a new reality onto life more generally. Um, it's a, mm -hmm. uh, it's a, yeah, it's a very, it's a very powerful statement that the preface closes with. Dusan Matic proposes, and Alexander Vucci as well, uh, liberation of imagination as a main tool against human alienation uh, caused by uh, division between poor and rich. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, mm -hmm. for me, uh, this idea that the um, imagination is uh, the main pool and main space for social revolution, the social revolution, first of all, is a transformation of thought. Uh, uh, this idea is much closer to me than idea of violent revolution. Yeah. I'm no, not Marxist, but uh, I understand. Uh, this is understandable Marxism for me. Uh huh. Um, so we don't have a lot of time left. Um, yes. I I I thought maybe. Um, I don't know. What should we 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 can should we conclude on some particular, uh, yes. or maybe we should conclude with what you just said. <laughs> I I I would uh, I would finish uh, uh, with one question. Um, how could you imagine, if speaking on imagination, uh, the continuation of, of your work? What would be interesting for, for you uh, to make, uh, to uh, endeavor as the uh, continuation of uh, your work uh, in um, study of interconnections between avant-garde and avant-garde, uh, unofficial literature, and children's literature. Mm, thank you. Um, so uh, the, the short answer is that I have continued. Um, uh, I have, I did, a, I did another project actually with Sasha Boshkovich, which, who we worked with on the Yugoslav book, but we wrote a paper together about uh, Soviet children's literature. Um, and we actually approached the question of, of surrealism, a kind of surrealism there, because we talked about uh, Soviet, early Soviet children's books that also work with photo montage. Um, uh, so I, I feel like one of the 
strengths of the book is the way that it offers a pretty huge historical panorama um, to readers uh, because I trace this childlike aesthetic uh, over so much time. However, I think this is also uh, a weakness of the book because each of the periods that I discuss is so rich and deserves so much more attention. Uh, so for instance, um, it was very difficult to choose the five poets from the late Soviet period who, whose work, well, the discussion of their work forms the bulk of the book. Um, this is Sievolodnik Krasov, Igor Holin, Leonid Aranzon, and Alia Grigoriev, as well as Dmitry Prigov as a kind of uh, a coda. And uh, I would like, I, I do continue to work with each of them, as well as many other poets of this period, um, trying to further sort out the questions that I feel like I just begin to pose in the book. Um, I think that, I think that uh, the question of liberation that you just brought up in the Yugoslav context, the idea of a kind of aesthetic and ideological anarchism that maybe we see in the uh, Five Cockerels gang. I, I would like to find more things that feel like that in the Soviet context or to convince myself that they cannot be there. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite intrigued by, by that, by the possibilities that this kind of comparative glance opens up. Um, <clears throat> and finally, I continue to be interested in contemporary poetry, um, including the really interesting and largely devastating work that is being written right now by people in Russian. Um, and I am curious to see how what seems like kind of a perennially usefulness, the perennial usefulness of this childlike aesthetic. I wonder if it, we are going to see it in some of the ways that people are working through a really serious reckoning with imperialism, greatness, puffed up self-importance, and so on, which is so much of what we, we see at the official level in Russia right now. And I think that you're, uh, as a scholar of uh, Russian culture, uh, strongly concerned with uh, today's uh, today's events, uh, I think that your work is very important for reconsideration of Russian culture and for um, clarifying of the of those uh, tendencies and those movements in Russian culture that can be. Uh, basis for the future uh, future Russian culture that um, would be liberated from these ideas of jingoism and imperialism. Uh, thank you so much. And let's hope. You. Yes. <laughs> thank I, I you. I thank you for uh, our very interesting conversation, and I wish you the success in your work. Thank you so much, Ilya. Good night. Thank you for listening to Shusai Podcasts. You can find more materials and features from the Society for the History of Children and Youth online 
shcy.org.